all again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and as always I'm joined by Will Quarantined Murden. How's it going today, Will? You most certainly are. It's going right, man. How are you? I am, uh, I don't know. It's been a while. It feels like it's been forever and I'm a little bit nervous. It feels like we're back in the saddle for the first time and where we're not going to get the flow that we want and the, and the juices going. I'm not going to be able to articulate, which I don't do particularly well anyway, but it's going to be even worse today. So I feel like we're, it's like pre-season for us as well. It is. So certainly the off-season. I know I've been in like proper off-season form, really enjoying myself. Not like um, I feel a little bit more like we've been doing it a couple of years now and I'll probably, I'm at that point where I've, I'm that player who's lost the hunger don't a bit. Don't care anymore? Yeah, well, it, not so much about this, but I don't have that hunger level that the young up-and-comers, that you need to have to succeed, which is not a great thing to be saying, but I'm getting lazy, I'm getting fat, I'm kind of, I'm confident. So I apathy's, just, really, apathy's really set in there. Absolutely, I think that's a risk. I think I'm just kind of uh, looking forward to the season and going, yeah, I can roll out and perform at a fucking A-grade level and... <laughs> You know, that, that's just going to happen. I don't have to do anything in the off-season here. I will be that good come game time because I've got the miles in the legs now. I'm a bit older. So you're like Stephen Motlop? Is it Stephen Motlop? Who's yeah, the one from Geelong who just... There, yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of boys out there. But I suppose if we look at it in the scheme of things, what, what are we coming up for year three now? So we're probably yep. not at that point. We really do need to be... This is the point where we start to hit our straps, really. Like we, we've got a couple of years in and we, st- we, we know the, the comings and goings now. So we can really start to put that to good use and, and put out a good show. So I better... Yeah, I mean, this is horrifying to listen to, if I'm honest, because I know that... Uh, I'm putting in the effort and you're fucking pulling the pin already. So this is really, really good to know. Just freshen up. Uh, so I'm thank you for your continued, your continued downhill slide into mediocrity. Be sensational. I'll be here for the journey. Everyone, really loves, everyone loves a car crash, mate. So... <laughs> okay uh so in today's show we've got a few different bits and pieces we'll try and hit well i mean there's obviously very little going on we'll touch on a couple of bits and pieces uh and then we're going to have a quick look at the the draft is all of what eight days away or nine days away something like that Uh, so we're going to talk about it a little bit just touch on a few bits and pieces through the lens of college football still though it's not we're not an nfl show i do not profess to know anything really about football in general but even less about the nfl than i do about college football so i'm um, certainly not we're not going to make too many bold predictions at this point and then we're going to talk about the history of us so we're going to spend a little bit of time discussing how we fell into college football uh, how we fell into a, a pretty um, unknown sport here in australia from lots of different perspectives and then how we've kind of followed it and developed a passion for the game, I suppose, that has brought us to where we are today. So we will explore Will's adventure, his journey through to this point in time, how he became an Oklahoma State fan, how he became a Chicago Bears fan, and uh, how many controllers he's broken at, as a result of various EA Sports iterations of both Madden and college football. That would be an interesting over-under, actually. <laughs> like, I think it's single digits, but it's high single digits. <laughs> I, I did read that someone wanted to file a suit against EA Sports for the amount of controllers broken, like collectively as a human race, how many of those plastic joysticks <laughs> had been trashed as a result of some poor game production or a middle linebacker somehow picking off a f- you that's know. what it is man that's the killer it's those flying middle linebackers picking you <laughs> off get fucked that guy has just leapt 10 feet in the air to jag that out yeah okay let's before we go into into that too much let's have a quick look at our we're going to explore some high risk low risk around the draft which again coming up in a couple of days so whether you want to watch it as an NFL fan, whether you want to watch it as a college football fan, whether you want to watch it as a football fan, just holistically, uh, it is always a really, really good experience. And this time of year in this situation, 
I mean, solely in this situation, it has become effectively the only sporting event on the calendar potentially for the next few months. So it is going to be a TV event that we'll all probably get around whether you're a true fan or not. And how do you feel about this whole virtual setup that they got going on? So obviously social distancing, no crowds, everyone's going to be at home, but EA have come to the party and they're kind of drawing up like visual representation of all the players going out to get their hats with uh, Big Roger. Yeah, I, I don't see the point. I mean, back in the day when it used to be at Music City Hall or whatever and they didn't have the big war rooms there, which they still don't now anyway. Like a lot of this is done via telephone. The, the picks are made via phone. Their match trades are made by picking up the telephone and having a conversation. And so none of that really changes too much. It's disappointing for the fans that like to go and I can get behind that and I appreciate that. But that's the same with a plethora of other things that have been cancelled at the moment. So it, to me, it shouldn't change anything. It's going to be the same experience for us here not living in the United States or not even that, not being at the venue. It is what it is. It's still going to be televised. The picks are still going to be made. The trades are still going to be made. There's still going to be cameras uh, in the face of various GMs and coaches and the players themselves. So yeah, the I think virtual it's, it's, side of it, I, I, I don't rate that, but I just, just let them have their moment. And it, and it actually could be nice because it, it might be for the players a more you know, intimate moment with their families, potentially. Uh, the GMs perhaps lose, or, and I imagine that they being the control freaks that they usually are both coaches and general managers they're going to lose some of that control and they're going to be freaking out particularly if there's technical difficulties which i really hope does happen and i hope someone misses a pick because just the internet's crashed or something uh so you know i, I would find that hilarious but i don't think it changes the the process the concept the experience too much that was a really long-winded response to what I thought was a quite simple question, but thank you for taking on this journey. Yeah, okay. Like I said, I'm, I'm just getting back into the groove, so I'm just talking my way through it. <laughs> All right, so being in this time of high risk, low risk, you know, there's various things that are considered high risk. Going on a cruise ship at this time of year, or in this current situation. Always a fucking risk. bad. Always a bad idea. Cruise ships are fucking terrible. Like, it's just a yeah. cesspool of grossness and, like, you're on a fucking boat with just water and old people and, oh, oh if that industry doesn't die on the back of this, then we've achieved nothing positive out of this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I've never been on a cruise. It doesn't really move the needle for me in terms of things that I want to do. Uh, but hey, you never know. Maybe sleeping in a two foot by four foot cabin is something that people really get off on. Anyway, uh, so, you know, that would be a high risk event. A low risk event, staying at home, locking yourself in the, in your house. Or if you're, you know, in parts of Asia, you get welded in and your door is literally closed on you. That's relatively low risk you know physically to other people mentally no not so much there's probably some issues there but there's some high risk things there's some low risk things and the same thing occurs with draft picks so we are going to give you our high and low risk players uh, we've picked three of each and we will be able to talk them through more from a college perspective than the nfl we're not going to dive into you know positional needs or anything like that it's more the players themselves what they've done over their journey so on that, and having the fact that I have said everything right now, let's start with the, where do you want to go? Low risk, high risk? Uh, I might kick it off with a high risk. Uh, and this high may, risk? Yeah, I'll, I'll go high risk. And this may seem a little strange, but Joe Burrow. Okay. Oh, I nearly put Joe Burrow, but I didn't. Pick one. Uh, what, why high risk? So I think he's going number one. I think rightfully so. You kind of got to make that choice. But. There is certainly risk there because we've seen one year of production and that's what it is. It was the best year of college football we've possibly ever seen. Don't get me wrong, but it's still one fucking year. That's it. 
And like, yeah, there's, there's, there's kind of this argument previously where you've, you've had a lot of that. Like his, he was a, he was a highly recruited kid, but wasn't like over the top. Like he, he got, he got the gig at Ohio state, uh, but it wasn't like a, a five-star kid that was expected to light it up. He got there, he kind of fought for the starting gig, didn't win that out, went to LSU. Things didn't really work out his first year there. And then all of a sudden it all came together in a massive way. But for me, there's got to be some risk associated with that. Uh, everything you hear about him is that he's a class guy, the right type of makeup that you need to succeed at the next level, works really hard, team-oriented, all of that shit. But uh, I don't know. There's just a little bit of dice there that I'm I'm not huge on with him. Uh, even so much to say I would take Tua from a riskiness standpoint, even with the injuries and everything, over uh, Joe Burrow. I don't think the talent level is necessarily there, but I think the risk risk level would have me swinging towards tour. Interesting. Yeah, I don't disagree, and I sh- we should have prefaced this by saying that every draft pick every draft pick is a risk. Innately, they all hold risk. There is a you know equal amount of chance that they bust or boom. Uh, whatever the case may be, I don't think it's equal, uh, but there's there's varying. Levels well, it's not. Of risk. Sorry, it's it's not equal. But you know, taking first overall quarterbacks. I mean, I look at my bucks, and I've got Jameis Winston there, who went one. Mariota in the same draft went two. Neither of them have been spectacular. Yeah. Um, you had Josh Rosen went one. He was no good. Uh, you know, I, I, and that's probably unfair on him the whole situation. But you know, Baker Mayfield's been up and down. But I think. When it comes down to it, if you need a quarterback, you've got to pull the trigger and you've got to pull the trigger on the guy that you think and you've got to keep firing that shot until you get it because what you want is a top five to 10, even 10 is, I'll I'll take a top 10 quarterback, but top five quarterback in the league. That's what you want. You want Pat Mahomes, right? What you don't want is Mitch Trubisky. You want Deshaun (laughs) Watson. You don't want Mitch Trubisky. (laughs) We can do this all night, dude. Yeah, but I mean, those were the two quarterbacks who were drafted right after him. Yeah, okay. But I mean, I guess that just really shows that Mitch went pick two overall. He was the first one selected. The Bears had to take a swing. They just have picked the wrong mm. one. Yeah, they did. And this, and and you know, it's going to put your ball club behind. But you've got to keep firing that shot. And Cleveland continue to do it. They're probably the classic. They just keep picking quarterback after quarterback, whether it's Whedon or Mayfield or, you know, whoever other... Leave my boy Brandon out of this. Yeah. <laughs> Just never got a good shot there, that's uh, all. Did they pick Jimmy Clawson? No, that might have been um, Carolina, actually. Brady anyway, Quinn? Brady Quinn. <laughs> there's, some, there's some not good ones there. Anyway, so I think you've got to keep firing your shot. This is going to dovetail into my biggest risk, though, and I think that's any of the quarterbacks outside of the top two. And every year we hear that people talk themselves into some of these other guys, these next tier down guys. So probably last year it was Drew Locke, although we're hearing really good things out of him in Denver at the moment. But like Mason Rudolph, um, you know, at, at Pittsburgh a couple of years ago, was kind of that second tier, second, third round pick. Now he's lucky um, to be alive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh, so there's all these kind of guys, and I have got no doubt that Jordan Love and Justin Herbert, although Herbert probably came with raps in, in the preseason last year, but those two guys have not played up to standard, and people are going to talk themselves into the fact that these are top 10 quarterbacks, and yeah. I just don't think they are. Well, I, I, mean, I who- think that if you are in the market for a quarterback... You need to make the move, trade up and get one of the two top guys. I know it's risky, but every quarterback is. If you're in a position, if you're a quarterback needy team, if you're Miami, the Dolphins that is, if you're Detroit and you want to go and get a quarterback, whoever the case may be, and you want to go and get a quarterback, you need to fire your shot. And if that means you jump up into the second or third pick, uh, to go and do that, then you do that and you make that happen because to talk yourself into Jordan Love, who's shot up draft boards late because he's a physical specimen, to me is not the answer. And, and we, you see it all the time and, and 
it's just such a frustrating thing as a fan base. And I know that not every team has the luxury of picking in the top three or four or five, whether you call that a luxury or a curse, I don't know. But, you know, at some stage you need to go and take that top guy, because like I said earlier, you want a top five quarterback in the league. And I don't think the fourth quarterback off the board is that. Yeah. Can I, they I, be? Yes. But often you want the number one or two guy. I agree with you hundred percent on the whole Jordan love thing. I think he probably slots in as that number four guy this year. And it, there's just like reeks of EJ manual. Like yeah. That, like that yeah. sort of player that they're, they're trying the to one from Florida state Christian Ponder, another one that people they're, they're talk try, yeah, exactly. into. They try and, and make them more than what they, they are that yeah. they ever have been. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know why you would think that, that that would come together there. Herbert, I'm probably more sold on as a prospect. Like I was going into the year, I think he's probably, uh, I'd, I'd put him closer to those top two than I would the rest of the bunch. Like your Jacob Eason's, your Jake Fromm's, your uh, Jalen Hurts. That whole lot there is very much, yeah, like fucking a crapshoot. And, and do we and see Russell where- Wilson there? Probably not. Yeah. Do we uh, and, see and, a whole handful of other blokes who've kind of been drafted at that point and then been pretty mediocre, best case scenario, carving out a backup career? Maybe. And one of these guys will probably go on and be successful. One of these other guys that you mentioned, whether it's Eason or From or, you know, Anthony Hertz Gordon. or whoever. Anthony Gordon. Who? Gordon, uh, Washington State. So I'm getting around. Oh. Uh, um, you know, one of these guys will go on and become successful probably. But I think if you're in the market for a quarterback, you take it and you take the highest, best quarterback you can get. I'm just not a massive fan of picking like, oh yeah, a mid second rounder and going, yeah, this is our guy for the future. That's not the way the league works anymore. So just go and take your shot and hopefully you can get at it. Or you end up as the Cleveland Browns replacing them every year. Or the Redskins with Dwayne Haskins. I don't know. So there, you know, we better keep this show rolling here a little bit. So um, who else have you got as a risky pick? So risky, uh, I'm going to say Derek Brown out of Auburn. The D tackle, yeah. So I'm a real big fan of him. Loved his game. What he puts on film is, is pretty special sometimes. But some of the reports that I'm hearing are that he's never been uh, a guy who's had to work all that hard like he's always been physically dominant presence that can rely on the fact that he's more physically talented than everyone that he ever lines up against and that always kind of concerns me like those guys tend to it's not as if everyone can have a fire lit under them and it just happens for them. More often than not, these guys that kind of go to the next level were always the most talented, then find everyone's at the same level, find that they don't have that extra gear. They don't have that inbuilt motivation to do it. You think it's going to happen. You think, oh, anyone can kind of uh, like, you know, get themselves on to do more. And with him, just from some of the reports I'm hearing, I think there's a risk there that he kind of is average so so and and never really steps out to be you know what you want to be taking in a top 10 tackle yeah i yeah i don't know it's such a tough position to predict about you know that success on the interior defensive line he is a huge man he's really really strong he isn't going to have his way with every offensive line that he plays against but we've seen the difference that you know uh the the Ndamukong Sue or a Gerald McCoy or a um, Aaron Donald or a real dominant interior lineman can literally put your defense in a really amazing, amazing place. And, and you know, all of a sudden you have got a, a real guy that, that needs to be shown some attention because the quickest way to the quarterback. But do you have the same thing about Chase Young? I mean, he would have been the physical specimen that dominates everybody since the age of however old, since he started walking. No, so, I mean, he, Chase Young is the safest prospect that, they, that you have here. And, and it's just because you hear the opposite with him. Like, he, he is one of the hardest working dudes. And when you have that combination of the athletic talent is there, the determination to want to exceed and then the production on field, like he is a lock. He is a dead set. He's going to be a superstar for a long time. Uh, 
he he's my number one safe prospect here. So it's it's really down to yeah. that attitude thing. And like I don't know these guys. I'm not fucking dialed in enough to be making a guess. This is just kind of more. It could be any player you replace it with. For me, it's more just an attitude thing. And from some reports that I've heard, that's uh, it's a risk for me. Okay, uh, I will echo your sentiment on Chase Young. He's my number one surefire pick as well. So we've blitzed through that one. My other high-risk prospects, and I'll zap these in together, but the first one, Henry Ruggs, I think taking a speed demon wide receiver. I know he's super athletic and I know he's a freak and they say he's this and that and he's the next best thing and he's up there with Judy and rah, rah, rah. I just, these speed guys are hit and miss and I saw some good games from him, but I saw some times where he disappeared as well. And I thought that he perhaps was, he certainly wasn't the best wide receiver on his team. And there was times where he was probably third or fourth behind Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle as well at Alabama. And I think both of those two guys, particularly Devonta Smith is a better pro prospect than Henry Ruggs. So I'm not super sold on him. And the other one that I've got is another athletic freak and that's Isaiah Simmons. And the only reason that I think he's risky is because I don't exactly know where you play him. I don't know his natural fit at the NFL. Is he a safety? I don't think so. I mean, he's athletic enough to probably play there. So he's kind of this undersized linebacker, but not a rush end. I I don't know his position. And simply because you're spending potentially a top five pick on a guy who I don't know what position you play him at. Yeah, I, I I don't hate that. I think to the, it like a lot of it is landing spot. I think coaches these days tend to be a bit more progressive than they were say ten years ago plus. And a tool like a weapon that he is can be used to exploit mismatches all over the field. Can be used as an eraser where they need to be. Can be used on blitzes where like I, I just think as long as he falls in with a smart, creative defensive coordinator he can have a fucking successful career because his measurables are just insane and he's shown out on the field as well that he can play all these positions. He can be that spot. So I'm, I'm probably not with you on, on the risk there, just purely because the game has changed a little bit. And I know previously, you know, if, if you didn't have, if you played two positions, you didn't have a position sort of thing. Like if, if they yeah, couldn't yeah. slot you down, that's what it was. I think now it's changed a bit and I think he breaks the mold a little bit. Back to the wide receiver one, I think that's a great call. I think drafting wide receivers in the first round has historically been just bad business when you look at it. And, and, <laughs> and I'm going to throw CD lamb into the mix here. Like everyone yeah. is so high on him at the moment and probably less Jerry Judy. And that's purely because he's like route running technician that I think, you know, maybe not, lives up to that first round billing, but he's going to have a productive career. CeeDee Lamb's one that, you know, he was amazing, yeah, in the wide out Big 12. Wouldn't surprise me to see him kind of fizzle out a little bit. Like, I've got, I've got some numbers here. And, and when you look at the years, we go back, so we'll go 27 backwards for first round receivers because the guys after that haven't had enough time to go out yet. But you look at John Ross, who you kind of drew comparison with, with uh, Henry Ruggs. Super fast. He's been banged up, but he's done fuck all. Mike Williams, he's been average so far. Drafted top five, was he? Pick four or something? Corey Davis, terrible. (laughs) Uh, You go back to 2016, you've got Laquan Treadwell. Fuck, is he even still in the league? Yuck. He missed. That was Will Will Fuller, can't stay on the field. No. Josh Doxson, I genuinely think he is out of the league. Yeah. Yeah. He's terrible. Corey Coleman, awful. Yeah, he was no. Was he Baylor? He's no good. So that was 2016. All of that's gross. You go 2015. Philip Dorsett, Brashad Perriman, Nelson Aguilar, Devante Parker. Maybe now this year, Kevin White. Yuck. And then Amari <laughs> Cooper. Like you look at all those guys and you think, fuck. No one's any good, really. Well, Amari Cooper's pretty good. I mean, there's it, no. It took me that long though to get to a name that yeah. is decent. Like everyone, well, there's else no one you're looking at. Round. Yeah, and there's no one there you're looking at that's going like, oh yeah, they're making Pro Bowls and they're on their way to a maybe not a, a Hall of Fame career, but certainly you know a a, a 
top five or six wide receiver and a name that you'll know about when you're growing up. Um, that's just not the case. So yeah, I, Hey, I agree. I just, I'm not big on wide receivers make me nervous and, and yeah. they often have got, they have good moments, flashes, uh, but often they disappear into obscurity. I mean, this has, this has been spoken as a historic class for receivers. Like they think this is a really, really good crop. So maybe they break the mold, but oh, just reading through that list there would scare me a little bit to be using my first pick on a receiver. Um, I might jump into a safe pick now. I'm going to yep. go uh, Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, okay. I think at the running back spot, yeah, you might not get a huge long career out of him, but I think he is plug and play. Like you put him in, you're going to get a, a decent chunk, like five years of elite level production from him. I, th- I think he's safe. Uh, bang, go. Bit of tread on the tyres. A little, uh, little bit of tread on the tyres and don't recommend drafting running backs in the first round. Just because of the kind of replaceable nature. But I think he is certainly like an upgrade over almost any spot in the league at the moment. Like he, he would be, I think he'll walk in to be a, a top 10 running back in the league. So I, I am really big on Jonathan Taylor. Okay. Uh, I've got a couple that I, again, I'll roll into each other um, just for time's sake. But a couple of positions we don't hear a lot about. Kenneth Murray. Uh, the linebacker, I think he is a a, a fantastic specimen, a, a real amazing operator just in general. Just the way he goes about it is fantastic. He is an athletic weapon as well. He's intelligent. Uh, he comes out of Oklahoma. He's six foot three. He's sideline to sideline. He's fast. Now I do get that off the ball linebackers are not worth, you know, heaps of money these days. They're not wor- They're not the position that they used to be. But he does have some of that athletic range that, you know, we still see some really good play from. You know, Devin White comes in and a, a, not as big but similar kind of has an impact. And Kenneth Murray. They, teams are looking at him and just going, he's the next captain of this team on the defense. He's already taking control of the locker room. And, uh, you know, he'll go and have a fantastic career, I think. And the other one, I know you're big on O-linemen, but Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa is a, well, we're not really sure. Like, he's been mentioned playing guard. He hasn't played much. in. He won't slide inside, I don't think. But... He's going to be a right tackle that they're going to hopefully convert to a left tackle, whoever they is, whoever picks him. But he is another product of that Kirk Ferentz, Iowa offensive line farm that they just have out there and just, you know, pluck them out every two or three years. And and he's one of the best. So I think he's going really, really high. And I think you make him a bookend for 10 years. Yeah, I like that. I like Kenneth Murray. Like, I'm obviously not a huge Oklahoma fan, but a lot of respect for him as a player. You were, you would bang on in everything you said there. So I can certainly see him, you know, being the the captain of a defense and then leading that team. And and that's what you want from a, a first round pick, someone that brings intangibles as well as elite athletic play. So. That's a good call. Worths, yeah, I'm a bit hesitant about flipping two tackle in the NFL. Like, it's just, it's a, it's a tough spot to play. It's probably the hardest position on the field. And it's, it's another one that's kind of a bit hit and miss. So I think he has a nice kind of fallback that he could be an elite guard. I agree. Like, that, that could happen. I think what you'd be looking to do is go that tackle route. But... I'm just not sold that he has that in his future. Although, you know, a 12-year guard at the next level playing at, high, at a high level is certainly something that you'd, you'd take home. So, and, and that's the thing that always... I mean, we hear these criticisms all the time about, you know, guards. And I don't think he plays guard. I think he goes and starts at right tackle. He may stay there. He may end up his whole career out there. He may not ever swing back across to left tackle, which is where your money's made where the big players on the offensive line get paid. That's it. But like, if you get a 12 year guard, I'll pick him number one overall. I honestly would. If you knew that's what you were getting, I would pick that number one overall because I know that I'm going to get a flame out from 
any other position that I play. And I've, I've always, I've never really understood this idea that, oh, you shouldn't pick interior guard, interior linemen in the, in the top 10. It's like, well, I don't know if he's going to just anchor your offensive line for 12 years, I'm going to take him. Yeah. Who was the boy from the giants who got drafted? Uh, mean son of a bitch plays guard drafted Ignito? real high. no <laughs> no more recent than that um this is really showing our level of nfl knowledge but uh yeah i think if you kind of went back and did a redraft now he'd certainly be bumped up a little bit i've got no idea who you're talking about but That's sure. right. um all right uh, one more for me yeah, yeah yeah jeff akuda i think he's just so okay. talented i i love that dude so I, uh, I want to get him in here. Cornerback, good mention. Okay, so some risk, some high and low in that particular arena or who we predict to be high and low risk. Uh, but again, if you've got to take your quarterback, fire your shot, see what happens. Okay, time to talk about the story of us. This probably doesn't have a natural flow on and connection, uh, but we're going to roll with it anyway because, I don't know, maybe we could die or something and the listeners wouldn't know about how spectacularly average our lead into this sport was so let's start with you will how did you before you even talk about becoming a chicago bears fan before you even talk about um you know college football how did you get into football at all when did you notice it was it through a video game was it some highlights you saw on i would say the internet but we probably didn't have that uh so what was it that kind of attracted you to the sport straight up i think yeah to begin with it was uh madden it it was the game that i i just i remember i kind of vividly remember like the first time playing it as a young kid and obviously aussie rules background didn't really know much about the sport at all so I was kind of, you know, mashing buttons, doing what you do. And then I would yeah. get down to uh, within field goal range. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to punt it. I'm going to punt it through the field goals. So <laughs> I didn't know any better. Like, I didn't know the rules. So I punted it through the field goals. Fucking nailed it. I'm like, beauty. No score. What are you talking about? Why do they get the ball? What's happening here? I couldn't believe it. I thought I'd crack the code. But no, uh, yeah, that's... <laughs> That was me as a young kid first getting into it. Uh, and that kind of just went from there, I suppose. Like I started playing that. I know like we went to school together. We probably talked about it a bit um, at, at those early days, uh, started following it. I became a, a Bears fan on the back of playing it because I like to play the middle linebacker position, especially when I was playing defense. And the mm, Bears well, you had- probably wouldn't play that on offense, but yeah. Well, yeah, but like it's it's either D end or middle linebacker, and I like just racking up tackles with a middle linebacker. And the Bears had Brian Erlacher at the time, fucking mm-hmm. big, mean, bald motherfucker. So I'm like, <laughs> these guys are awesome, and that's uh, that's how I kind of got around them. Okay, interesting. What, what about you, dude? What's your earliest memory of getting into footy? Um, I don't exactly. There's a couple of memories that I have around, again, the computer game side of things. Again, growing up a, an AFL fan, I think mum bought me for Christmas one year, like Madden 2002, maybe. I think I had like Dante Culpepper on the front for PC. Uh, and the specs for our computer just couldn't really manage it. It was pretty, there was lots of uh, just stuttering and lagging and it was excruciating to be a part of, to be honest, like field goals were not a thing to get that, like that little bar up in a smooth action. That didn't happen. I had like three blocks. It'd be like, uh, 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 uh. so field goals, not really a thing uh, unless you wanted to hook way left. Uh, but I think that was probably my first experience with it. And then the reason, and I fell into the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a similar way is that I discovered Warren Sapp and he uh, played a defensive tackle position, obviously. And I would just rack up sacks with him. I thought he had sweet cornrows back in the day. Uh, And funnily enough, uh, that season, I probably 
I mean, we lived in the country a little bit. So getting access to things like the NFL was pretty hard to come by. I kind of would loosely, I think, look at scores at school and stuff like that on the internet. But we didn't have consistent internet when I was growing up. Like this was, it was tough sledding for a long time there. Um, and, and that year, actually, the Bucks made it to the Super Bowl against the Oakland Raiders. And I remember copying the game on VHS because we were at school. Uh, copying the game onto VHS, I think there was two of them. And, uh, and then from there, I, I watched it and I watched that replay a number of times. I saw Rich Gannon get intercepted five times three touchdown returns and I was like yeah this is this is awesome and then the Bucks went on to draft Chris Sims and uh, couldn't move the ball at all Cadillac Williams I remember um, and then I remember you know once that Madden game had, had run its course I remember us hiring one at one stage on GameCube I reckon and I played as the Seattle Seahawks and that you used to have to on Madden, I don't know if you remember this, but when you'd snap the ball, you used to have to press the X button, I think, again, after the snap as the quarterback to bring up the receiver, like little icons to throw to. So you'd actually have to press it twice. You'd like press it to snap it. And then at the top of the drop, you'd have to press it again to bring up their little icons. And I just didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea how the controls worked. Um, got sacked about 40 times in that game because I just couldn't get them to pass the ball. There's a lot of button mashing. But then on the last play of the game, we just ran four verts. And for some reason, magically, I had the little buttons come up through a deep ball. And I think I won that game seven to three. Um, but yeah, from there, various iterations of Madden and uh just kind of fell in love with the game a little bit. I don't really know why. I had no idea what I was doing um, or what the game, you know, I was teaching myself the rules. I was teaching myself the players, but I really enjoyed going through that experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, thinking about it now, the whole like uh, buttons coming up when you hit it at the top of your drop, that makes sense. I like that. That's logical, (laughs) right? Like get back, then you see what's happening and you need to make your read off of that. It was a pain in the ass. It was a pain in the ass. It wasn't. Um, Okay, so how then, you know, how long did you stick with the pro game before transferring to college? Was Was it an organic transition or did you kind of fall into that as well? Or did you have to make a conscious effort to engage in the college game? And, you know, do you find yourself, I suppose, following college now more or less than the NFL? Uh, yeah, well, I think it was a bit of a strange one. So it was only really like we started playing together. So we kind of finished, yeah. finished school. Um, and then we got into playing together kind of what our first year out of school, probably. Yeah. And I think by this stage as well, you know, NFL was starting to gain a little bit of momentum here. It was a bit, I think it was accessibility a bit went access, up. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. So I think with all of that, uh, I I was interested in college football. Like I, I I didn't I didn't nearly have the passion that I do now about it, but it certainly caught caught my attention. I, I remember that um the Rose Bowl game, uh Texas and USC. I remember watching that game and just being like blown away with how cool that was and, and sitting down and watching it and being like this is the most incredible thing that I've ever seen and like that was probably my first real hook to it where I was like man this this is everything like the pageantry around this the it, it was just amazing so from there it was so easy to fall in love with the storylines of the game like I remember I was big like Tim Tebow fan, you know, like when, when like everyone who kind of followed college football at that time, it was just so easy to get around him and follow that story and get in the narrative. And it was, it was more like a story than it was just watching sports. It was, there was kind of so much intrigue around it and so much you could consume and enjoy that I I really got into that. And it was kind of at that point that I was certainly probably following the, college football more than I was the pros because there was so much happening there 
And I mean, what we, so we'd been playing together for a number of years and I was kind of working a bit of a dead end job. Uh, and I thought, look, I, I've got to go back. I want to do something else. And, you know, I, I don't want to continue doing this. What do I want to do? I've got, you know, all options available. I mean, I'm a youngish kid. Uh, I know I'll, I'll go study at university with one of the main drivers behind why I was going to do it. So I could go and exchange so I could go to a top <laughs> football program college like legitimately that was a real driver for me and all right, i'm going to study this so in you know my my second year i can go off and spend a year over in the states live that college life and get around college football i made the choice to go to oklahoma state university because they had the best football program of the schools that were available to me like that was it <laughs> i could have gone to colorado state football's trash there Awesome lifestyle up in Colorado. You hit the San Diego State, I think. Could have gone to San Diego State, wicked party school, California, living it up. But again, group of five school, I'm going to go to Stillwater, Oklahoma because they had a good football team. (laughs) And I was just lucky enough that when I was there in 2011, it was a historic season for them. They had Brandon Whedon, Justin Blackman, uh, and it finished third in the nation like we're a bee's dick away from making the national championship game which i would have gone to like i I went to the fiesta bowl in phoenix and had an incredible time my roommate played on the team so i got unprecedented access to all the players i was hanging out with them having beers with them as friends and shit and you know like a year before that that was kind of a pipe dream then when you go and live it it's Mm. just normal it is what it is it's regular so how did so the the reason you're an Oklahoma State fan was just effectively coincidence or the fact not even coincidence the fact that the universities have that arrangement led you to that point I suppose absolutely and that and that is why you so if it, it could have been anybody else really at that point it would have the school that you went to probably ended up dictating your fandom I suppose absolutely so the other option that I was looking at was Clemson. Uh, at the time, Ooh. not nearly the powerhouse that they are now, but <laughs> they didn't offer exchange for the Bachelor of Management program that I was doing. So that kind of knocked them off the list, but they were one that I was eyeballing uh, because mm. that uh, that could have been... That would have been unbearable dealing with you being a Clemson fan. Yeah, you're lucky. You are real <laughs> lucky that I'm not into... Uh, I think it was like urban planning. If you did urban planning, you could have gone there. So Yeah, right. I think you're lucky that you don't have to deal with that. And then like our streets are lucky that I'm not an urban planner because fuck knows what I'd be up to then. <laughs> Lots of roundabouts. Um, okay. So from there, that was what? 20, 2011. 2011. 2011. Yeah. So then you came back. I mean, that's nine years ago now. So oh, terrifying. between, between then and now, you know, this is kind of three years in, but if we, you know, go from 2011 to about 2017 where we sort of floated this idea. What brought you, like, what were the things that you remember about college football? Was it just this became part of your yearly routine and uh, that this is where you ended up and this you're just now a college football fan? Or was there anything else that happened along that journey that, you know, enhanced your experience with the college game or was it just that this is my life now and this is what I need to do every Sunday morning? Yeah, I think it was just kind of that lead up to when I went over there. And then like once you've lived it and, and been in that life and you you kind of grow that passion for a particular team as well. Like it's it's the whole sport, but then you've also got like a real passion for that one team too. So like I, I won't miss an Oklahoma State game now. I'll watch a shit ton of other games as well, don't get me wrong, but I have that real drive for them to succeed, to get around them. Like I'm consuming a lot of content about college football but I still won't miss an article that's written about anything to do with Oklahoma state. Like it's a bit sad with how much you kind of go down there. But once that was done, like I I was hooked, I was all on that. You you start to really appreciate the sport probably a bit more, I think as we got into it. So we'd like both played five years at that point, you'd kind of been traveling a bit. So missed, missed a couple here and there. I was lucky enough to travel with the Australian team over the UK and, and learn a whole bit heap about the sport. And then that just kind of grows your appreciation for the game as well, because it, it is nuanced. It's not like that there is an element of strategy to it. And I think that's what attracts a lot of people to the game. 
that it's not just you know dumb people bashing each other in the head with their helmets on there's a lot of thought that goes into it there's a lot of art to the you know sophistication around drawing up plays and all of that and i know like as long as we've been playing the two of us have been drawing up plays for our local team like when we were real young we we were kind of slagging out our coaches going what are they doing we could draw this up we had no right to do that our shit was garbage too but it's kind of (laughs) it's what we're interested in we love thinking oh this would be cool you could do this we could motion here we could run this so it's kind of yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things that once you're on board and you can see why it captivates, you know, the whole of America, they're all on, on board with it. Once, once you're hooked in, the, the sport itself has so many things to, to grab you by. And then the college game is just, yeah, storylines, traditions, you know, it, it's all good fun. So I think for me, as soon as I got back, it was, you know, I'm not going to miss this stuff now. And then when you kind of floated the idea, Hey, let's start a podcast. Cause we're up talking about this shit and watching it anyways. Why don't we? Yeah. It just made sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, what, what ignited you? Because for me, it's quite clear, right? Like I, I had that trip. There was that time spent a year of my life over there. And then it was, I want to, you know, I want to keep, keep living that and, and now live it vicariously through my TV uh but for you what was what was that kind of defining moment that hooked you in well i think before we get to the college side of things i mean there's again some very distinct memories that i have or very vivid memories that i have there was one after training one night actually we come home on a wednesday night oh that way that it must be must no sorry monday night would have been monday night because of course monday night football here happened on a tuesday morning so, you know, any time that I had off uni and I wasn't working, I would try and stick around. And I remember I was working at six o'clock in the morning. And I remember being at training. I was like, fuck, I don't want to go to work. I was working at a retail shop. It was boring as fucking seen. I had to be there at six o'clock in the morning. Um, and I was just like, fuck this. I'm not going tomorrow. So I called, um, I called up and said, oh, listen, can't come in feeling really sick. Rah, rah. I was like, yep, not a problem, sweet. They were like, yeah, all good. So asleep at your place and I was like, sweet. You know, game starts at, I can't remember what time, nine o'clock in the morning, 10.30 in the morning, something like that. Anyway, six o'clock, I get a phone call from my mother saying, remember you were going to meet me here before work and we were going to switch cars because I need to take my car to, we had to switch cars for some reason. So she's like, I'll meet you at work of which the night before, previous I had got myself out of because I was sick. So I had to get myself up from your place. I think I had my work clothes with me. So I put them on, drove to work, into the car park, changed cars, hopefully out of eyesight. Uh, then at that stage, mum had left for work, but, but dad haven't. So I, mum drove off and I sat there for a few minutes just peeking. And then I drove myself away from my workplace <laughs> into the depths of the suburbs to just sit there for an hour before my dad left for work. So then I could return home. Um, because at this stage, Monday Night Football was only on ESPN, which only came with Fox and we didn't have that. So I wasn't watching this game and I certainly wasn't watching it now. Anyway, I get home and my sister is there and she is like, what the fuck have you done? And I was like, this twisted web of lies got me into some trouble. So here I am. (laughs) So that was one uh, little moment that I had. Uh, Apart from that, I do remember when I was living in England in 2009, there used to be um, a peer-to-peer sharing website where you could download old games and it would, you know, you would share games from the weeks previous and, and you would be responsible for uploading a certain amount, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember downloading heaps of different stuff. I remember some um, Florida games. I remember some Christian Ponder led Florida State and I remember Ja'Cory Harris in Miami I was like oh Warren Sapp went to Miami I know The Rock went to Miami so I'm gonna I think I'm gonna get around Miami or Florida State at this stage I didn't really know yet 
And then I saw Ja'Cory Harris beat Wake Forest from a come-from-behind game, which I was like, man, that was sick. I met Wake are trash and were trash, but I didn't really know what I was looking at. And that was probably the start of it for me, for being a Miami fan. And then I did some of the research and I watched the 30 for 30. And from there, it was, it was over, really. Um, but I was able to experience and, and watch some more college football whilst living in England. And then by the time I got back, you arrived back in the country at a very similar stage. And at that point, you know, we just spent the whole summer kind of together going out till two in the morning or whatever, and then rolling home for college football, super wasted. Um, Yeah, I almost forget that now. Like we really did that on the reg. Like every weekend we would go out to 2am and then just come home and then stay up for another 12 hours and watch football. I I don't have that stamina anymore. Oh, I remember there were some times where we just weren't in great places on Sunday. Um, And thank God I was at uni. I wouldn't be able to hack the pace now, but I do remember we had to play one week and we were both like hung over and hadn't slept like i don't think i slept and we rolled down to no longer had to play both ways and it was in the heat and it was so fucked but um that's kind of what we did and 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 your kind of enthusiasm and and uh i guess your excitement about the sport i didn't have that real experience that you had So I was vicariously living through your vicarious living through the TV. Um, So some degrees of separation there, but I I still found it enjoyable. And probably the biggest thing for me to overcome, then I had to teach myself the sport. I had to teach myself. That was the intimidating part for me was teaching myself conferences and players and teams. And I was just like, I I don't know if I've got the the brain capacity to manage this because it just seemed so big and overwhelming at the start. But after a while, it was just... Um, it was so good. There were so many games on and, and I've actually found myself in the last few years appreciating the game even more, loving it even more and, and getting some excitement out of more of the teams because I think when we first started, you're like, oh yeah, let's watch you know, USC and Oregon and I'll be like, yeah, well, you know, I've heard of them but I don't know much about the history and the storyline of the game or then it would be like, oh, let's watch Penn State and Michigan State and I was just like, yeah, okay, but it's like, these are more teams that I don't fully understand. Uh, so some more exposure to that was fantastic. Um, so that was probably kind of my, my journey through to, to college football as it was. Um, and it was, it was super fun and, you know, NCAA football on PlayStation taught me a lot about those, things as well despite losing to Toledo multiple times um you know it was still a a really positive learning journey and then for me I sort of went into a bit of coaching I've I've always been fascinated by the analytical side of the game so I've listened to thousands and thousands of hours of podcasts and YouTube clips and I certainly don't profess to be an X's and O's guy or have deep knowledge about the sport that I would like to. I don't think you can have that without playing at a high level to fully understand and appreciate that nuance you're talking about. But, you know, I do understand a fair bit conceptually uh, and I enjoy exploring that even more because it is so creative, so much more creative than the AFL. And that's where I found myself drifting away is that AFL became a as a coach you felt very because i've coached afl as well and you feel very hamstrung by what is going on you just on a saturday you're there and you just sit and watch your team do things and you don't really have a great influence Um, and i think as coaches we like to believe we're having an influence i think the big one we're leaving off here is our uh 2015 adventure Oh, Jesus. That's kind of smart about that one. (laughs) I don't know how we forget about it, but kind of smack bang, I guess, between when I was over there and now, which is a scary thought because it doesn't feel like it was that long ago. But it's like in in 2015, we decided that we were going to do it proper and took what, two months? So you were a bit longer. That that, that, um, trip was on the cards the year before, actually. And we'd put a schedule together and it looked really, really good. Um, but I can't remember financially. We probably, I probably wasn't in a great spot. 
I don't think. And as it turned out, the games that I think we we're going to go to weren't that great. And then we looked at the next year and we're like, yeah, we'll go to these games. And I just remember everything falling perfectly in terms of we had overtime games. We had the ridiculous Arkansas um, game where who's the wide receiver? Henry, like on fourth and they converted like a fourth and 18 from like throwing the ball backwards. We saw Stanford hit a field goal after like the on the yeah. gun to beat so Notre Dame. Six overtimes with Arizona State and Oregon. Oregon. Like, yeah. So what were we? We were eight weeks, 10 games, 23 college campuses, I think we hit up. Something like that, yeah. So it was, yeah. And about 23 kilos put on as well. <laughs> yeah, we were walking a lot. Like, yeah, I was fat, dude. <laughs> yeah, we were eating a lot of shit and <laughs> drinking even more. Yeah, but yeah. that that was I mean that was incredible. That was really oh. like and, and there's even nights that still jump out to me at times um, that I'm just thinking about, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm, like remember there was a night we we're out in Georgia at a pub, and I was just it was a wicked night. I was you know we we're pretty. Ha- I think that was the night that we rolled in because uh, you drove into Athens, and I was just pounding beers in the van and by the time we get got there i was wasted and that was a wicked wicked night awesome awesome (laughs) i mean there's there's so many of them like well i think the thing that concerns me now is i probably have more memories of the hangovers that i was carrying around (laughs) with me on at times than i do some of the big nights like because we were at the age now where i was starting to feel it like you know I, I, i was certainly struggling to back it up a bit so Oh, it uh yeah, some some killer ones in there for sure. Oh. It was it was so fun and met some wicked people, some lovely people, some lovely places. Um and got just a, like, had some Yeah, it really like took advantage of stuff. We got the best tailgate setups when when we went over there and I couldn't recommend it enough for people who do yeah. do want to get into college football and you know, if you're younger and, and you've got the opportunity once this whole bullshit virus is done and definitely wait till that happens. But once that's all done, like set yourself up, plan an itinerary, like book out a bunch of big games and kind of try and map your way through that. And it's a great way to see America too. Like we weren't like, that was our main driver was hitting up college campuses, getting around football programs, like going to tailgates and enjoying that, that college atmosphere. But we saw national parks, we saw museums, like we went to a, a whole host of big cities, like the World War Two Museum at uh, in New Orleans, I'm actually holding fucking memorabilia from there at the moment. I don't know why I just had it floating around me. Yeah. Now. Uh, like yeah, the whole of New Orleans, we did that. The JFK yeah. uh, thing in, in, in Dallas. Dallas, like yeah. we just it, we went it, to that national park in. in Georgia. Drove yeah. through like the Smokies in Tennessee. How cool in the that? fall? How cool yeah. is that? that? That orange everywhere, driving up into yeah. the mountains and down through the mountains. National parks, yeah. it was just kind of a, well, we don't have anywhere to be. Let's, you know, there seems to be a park here. Let's pull in here. And that was an incredible hike that we went through. <laughs> like, it, it, it's that sort of stuff that, you know, I can't recommend highly enough to people out there that the, the culture over there towards Australians is so positive from the college football yeah. side of things that they look after yeah. you like you would not believe as just and as we soon did as, as much as yeah and we did as much as we could to fuck that up as well but <laughs> certainly um, certainly but I mean yeah it was they they were so good to us everywhere we went we, we never had a bad time I don't think we had a, a bad day between the two of us for two months that's it's pretty incredible I mean, despite some of the experiences we had with a car breaking down or needed to turn to some um, legal aid or going to the doctor or whatever the case may be, things just kind of happened for us. And that was my most fun trip I've ever had. And I don't think I'll ever forget that. And I still, yeah, anyway, I mean, kind of enough about that. But I guess that was my experience to feel the intimacy of college football. You'd always talked about it and I always found the NFL be, to be quite untouchable. And the college game is and the college players are as well. But, you know, we walked into Tom Herman's press conference randomly at Houston. We walked down onto the field at 
Athens, Georgia, I think, you know, you would <laughs> see right. play like when we were kicking the ball around at Oklahoma state, like the players came out and they were just like kicking the ball around with us. It's, it, it was far more intimate. They, people felt like real human beings and it, it felt very uh, community based that the whole town gets around it in a very uh, small version that can't be replicated in the pro game where players are moving all the time and it's financially based and it's, it's all about the product. It's an entertainment. And whilst college football certainly has that element, if you rock up to, um, you know, a, a, an old Miss tailgate, you're going to meet people that have been tailgating there for years and that they went to Old Miss and their grandparents went to Old Miss and their great grandparents went to Old Miss. And this is just what they do on Saturdays in the fall. Um, and it's the same thing at all the schools. And, you know, in, and I found, you know, again, the SEC was unbelievable, but I found so much enjoyment from, from everywhere, really Florida state, you know, uh, Tallahassee was really, really nice. And I enjoyed my time at Tempe, Arizona. And, you know, it was, yeah, I just cannot speak highly enough of it. And, I, and, and that was probably where, you know, it, it's only grown for me from there. And I constantly get asked by English Jess, you know, how long is this podcast going to go for? How long is your interest in college football really going to last? And whilst I never thought I'd give up on AFL, I effectively have. And, and this has become my kind of number one sport. And I don't see that changing in the future. Yeah, and I mean, I guess that's kind of where we're at now. So it's next steps for us. I mean, we're we're probably enjoying it more as much now, at least uh, as as ever, and and really, you know, enjoying the podcast, enjoying the the depth of knowledge that we now have on the game. Because previously, you would you know you'd follow your team, you'd follow the major headlines. We've taken it another level now. We're uh, like I know your knowledge is pretty insane when it comes to college football these days so I think for us we'll we'll continue to do this I think another trip probably needs to be on the cards at some point uh we got to hit up big 10 country yeah we do we'll have Uh, to take the families yeah I know that that, that's going to be a hassle for us but I I think we can certainly look to try and get four weeks over in uh, big 10 country I could be cold though yeah yeah it will be um and it might look a little bit different this time around i think uh we yeah (laughs) no well it might have to um but yeah i mean it's just it's been such a wicked journey and i've you know you kind of make it yourself but i also feel like we're kind of privileged and and i don't know how many other australians um I probably have had that experience. Some obviously would have, but we feel lucky to be able to do it. And then the next step for us, and certainly for me, was how can we provide that for other Australians here? Because it is a good game surrounded by good people. It's not just this, oh, it's stop and start all the time. I can't stand it. Um, like, it's not like that. Uh, it, you know, it's such a good product. And are there parts that we dislike? Sure. But that's the same with every single sport. And, um, I mean, what's next for you then? What what do you is is this is this it? Is college football maxed out, or what do you want to see from the game, or what do you want to get from the game as we come towards the end of this history of us? Uh, I think it's just continuing on what we're doing here, man. Like, I, I really hope we can continue to push in with uh, a few of the Aussie kids. Like, I, I think we're starting to kind of reach out and speak to a few of them through the socials at the moment. But I think to continue to kind of open that up and, and share their story a bit to, to other Australians, because I think that kind of opens, opens up doors as well. It's, it's an amazing pipeline that we've got there. So it's an interesting one for us to follow. Like I, I, I like what we're doing now. I'm going to be following the football every, you know, come October or the end of September through till the end of December. I'm going to be locked in every Sunday morning, you know absolutely so if we can keep doing this while that's all happening i'm I'm fucking happy man yeah and if there is a kind of if there is a silver lining and again i don't want to this whole situation and i don't want to be fickle about anything or offend anybody although i probably will um you know if there is in terms of a timing for for football it has come at a good time whilst you know afl has been hit here in australia and rugby's been hit and every other sport in the world has been hit outside of maybe like the ukraine or something you know 
or Belarus. Sorry, you would know that as a gambling man. Um, the we you know this sport hasn't been has it been affected? Yeah, sure, but has it you know is it going to be detrimental to the season? That's yet to be seen. But there is hope, and there is a real chance that this season will go ahead, which you know we're certainly looking forward to to going around. And if it doesn't, hey, we'll be back next season. All right. Any final words on our little history story, Will? No, that's good. I, I thought that might be really boring, uh, but we're actually, we're all right. <laughs> okay. I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, all right. Well, that brings us to the end of uh, another off-season episode. And we do have a few other little bits and pieces in the works. I know we promised some stuff in the past, but we'll certainly be looking to do a couple of interviews and uh getting a little bit more uh, involvement uh, in the lead up to the draft and the draft process. But in the meantime, please make sure you do let uh, your friends and family know about the podcast. Make sure you hit us up on CFB down under on Twitter and on Instagram as well. Uh, I just do want to give one plug. Actually, we may be uh, making a special appearance on the vault fantasy football podcast as well. So they, they've asked for our college football expertise over there, those guys. So uh, look out for that one coming up because you might hear these lovely docile tones of the two of us uh, via another podcasting. And you've said maybe, I just want to make sure that there is a clarifier there because uh you know we're in media now which means if you're going to say something it's got to come true so well yeah but i haven't signed i haven't signed anything yet and you know there's a bit of haggling happening i don't come cheap yeah if anyone wants to give us money as well we we like that (laughs) especially at this time so yeah make sure you do hit us up on instagram and on twitter at cfb down under uh tell your friends and family leave us a review do all the usual things you need to do it's been a pleasure bringing the first two years to you and we look forward to your company again in the future on behalf of that guy over there will murden my name's aaron kemp and we will see you next time